0: Welcome to the O'Reilly Design Podcast. I'm your host, Mary Tressler. Before we launch into our episode this week, I want to remind everyone that the O'Reilly Design Conference will take place March 19th through the 22nd, 2017 in San Francisco. Visit OReilly.com forward slash for more information and to register. Now to our episode. This week, I sit down with Simon Andres, creative director and partner at Red Antler. We talk about designing all birds, Red Antler's transformative approach to design, and the importance of having a point of view. Enjoy the episode. Simon, thank you so much for joining me.
1: Of course, it's a pleasure, Mary.
2: I'd
0: love for you to tell folks listening today a little bit about your journey to where you are now and, you know, specifically how you arrived as a partner and creative director at Red Antler.
1: Sure. So you can probably hear that my accent is <laughs> not American, so I'm originally from New Zealand. Um I've been in the States for I think eighteen years now. I arrived in nineteen ninety nine. A very interesting time, the first bubble. And you know, the the early O's were very um, very traumatic, <laughs> I think, for a lot of us. Um but back in New Zealand I actually went through art school and I spent I'd say ten years as a as an artist you know, with dealers and a studio and lots of work and really Kind of weirdly enough, making work that was all about American consumerism and in <laughs> sort of a pop noir style. And it was sort of critiquing, um, what people really wanted and what they needed. And now I end up sort of in New York and doing this kind of work. Um, and I think within that work that I was doing, I started almost branding the shows and branding the, the, um, the objects that I was making. Mm-hmm. That was kind of my foray into that. I was also making really expensive work, so I needed a, a a job that was paying. And I ended up sort of doing a lot of interior design and graphic design in the um, both commercial and um, the visual arts. Hmm. So I kind of just started design that way, kind of amateur. But a lot of the things that I learned at art school sort of really applied to anything that I was doing. And I still find that I'm using that those tools today. Um, I sort of come as, from an outsider perspective, um, and then I was working with a theatre producer in Wellington. Had you know a lot of amazing projects, but I was, New Zealand is very small, and very isolated. And she encouraged me to come to New York. And as I said, you know, I arrived to my uh, at my thirtieth birthday in nineteen ninety nine. You can do the math, <laughs> and uh, went off to a club, which is what we did in those days. And um, I originally worked in advertising for a couple of years at Kirschbaum. Working on Target and Tommy Hilfiger and Revlon, really getting my teeth into American consumerism. And what I learned there, though, was that you need to really commit to an idea and put a lot of thinking and resources around that idea. Um, But ultimately, I wasn't really aligned philosophically with what was going on advertising. And ended up meeting an old friend of mine from art school, who was actually going to RISD for his postgrad, And we started a small company so I think we denied that we had a small company for about four years, <laughs> that we were business people as well as creatives. Um and we did that for quite a while, uh, working on G4. It was a TV network for gamers, and we pretended to be an agency. <laughs> um, but we did all sorts of things from you know Intel through to exhibition design, record covers, and art projects. And through that, I met my now partners, Emily Haywood and JB Osborne. And did they were working with Behance, which probably most people know, um, sort of a portfolio platform for for creative minds. And they were looking for a design partner and we started working together and did a number of successful projects and I think just really gelled in how we looked at the world. And we ended up getting married after <laughs> after quite a while. And um we felt like, you know, this this triangle, the triumvirate. Of the three of us, was just it was a really powerful thing. We realized we we're really excited about working with startups and excited about growing things and making things. Um, so that's kind of how it all started. And I obviously took the the lead role in creative. Um, JB sort of more at the front of the boat, leading the leading the charge with new business and business development and sort of overall kind of business thinking. And Emily leads uh, the strategy side. So yeah, that's. That's where I'm at. We Red Antler now. I think we started around six people, and we're now around 80. Wow! And we have a pretty multidisciplinary team with the with the aim of really creating more holistic brand experiences. So we're not necessarily a design company. We're not an agency. Um, we're more brand focused, but we're also trying to we we get com- uncomfortable about um, terminology. I think we're just trying to define. Whatever makes sense for uh, the client partners that we're working with.
0: Great. So, talk to me a little bit about, and I'm sure there's no typical day in your life, but um, what what you do as creative director?
1: Um, yeah. So I have you know a, a dual role as creative director and partner. So things are, are fairly hectic, um, and most days are really interesting roller coasters and really rewarding. Um, I'm lucky that I get to work across like a ton of disciplines. And I think i'm I'm sort of a generalist, you know, I didn't study typography, and I studied like bringing objects into the into the world in space um and I feel like brand is kind of you know, objects and behaviors in space. Um, so I get to work with the team across the board from you know strategy, new business, obviously, I spend a lot of time with my design directors and designers, and I guess my job, you know we have very skilled and talented people. My job is to make sure that. The work that we're doing is both strategic and achieves the business goals, but also pushes things forward creatively. Um, mm-hmm. And I think brands are so much about emotion and feel, mm-hmm. uh, and brands should have a feel even before you kind of read anything. And I feel like it's my job to to guide that and sort of make sure that the the feel is right of the of the brand identity. And the emotion that people are uh, coming away with it is really powerful and resonant. Mm. Um, yeah. And some other things just day to day working with clients to guide them through a very emotional, subjective process <laughs> and fight for the work and challenge them when necessary. And I think being that sort of trusted voice in their ear, um, because it is, you know, a lot because we're working with startups where uh, quite often doing it for the first time. And, it's sort of a it's a big deal, and we're constantly trying to you know push and make sure that we're doing something really differentiated, and that's not always easy. So making sure that we're guiding um, our client partners through there, and you know ultimately taking the right risks at the right time.
0: Mm-hmm. You mentioned earlier um, you don't consider yourself an agency, and I I want to just unpack that a little bit um, in terms of how you work with clients. Can you give sort of a general Overview of, I mean, I'm sure there's there's all different scenarios, but it sounds more like a partnership than anything else in terms of how you you work together. And you mentioned there um, many of them are startups. Can you talk a little bit about your experiences with clients?
1: Sure. Yeah, I think it's one of the reasons why we were so attracted with working with new businesses, either in their nascent stage or they it might be one person an idea that we get to sit at the table with them right from the start. And have sort of a, you know, a significant voice, um, in the proceedings. And we're able to, you know, help influence the work and the business from a very early stage and not out of ego, but more like, you know, we've done this hundreds and hundreds of times over the last nine years. Mm -hmm. We have like so much experience in the category, um, being able to sort of impart that and work on level footing with, with these, um, entrepreneurs and, you know, young teams to create work that's, you know, really going to change the business. Um, so that's part of it. Uh, another part of our model, um, we get quite creative in terms of um, how we structure deals and quite often we're taking equity in early stage companies. And that really also, you know, levels the playing field and, and gives us some skin in the game. And that really changes the dynamic. Mm-hmm. Um, and in terms of, you know, us not wanting to be <laughs> called an agency, I think. All three of us came from agency world and there was a lot that was broken. A lot of assumptions were made um, in those sort of companies where I I don't think the best interests of the people that they were working with were really served Mm -hmm. because there's, you know, the agency wants to win awards or they have to spend a certain amount of money. And I don't know, it just seemed very dishonest. And we ultimately, you know, it's great to make money and we obviously want to be in business and be healthy as a business. But I think we're really in it to create companies that are going to do something meaningful in the world, and we want to partner with people who, um, you know, want to really work with us.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Excellent, excellent. Um, so, a, a kind of basic question: What are some of the tools you use day to day there?
1: Well, they're like getting less and less. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think you know, starting off as a designer, you you know, use the whole suite of software. And I definitely dip my hand in once in a while. Um, But I think I still go back to what I learned at art school. And I was initially at a, you know, very modernist institution. So we were doing life drawing and, um, you know, figure studies and still life. And as a sculptor, I was, you know, having to think about how these ideas were going to come to life. So I think drawing is the greatest tool um, of any designer, or actually anyone, it's like a great way to communicate to yourself and to other people without, you know, investing too much time in it. It really makes you focus on the ideas and less about sort of the the visual fluffery that can happen once you go straight onto a computer and everything's like beautifully rendered. Mm. You're not actually attending to the idea. Probably have a couple of others. I always have like a table with inspiration objects that i collect so whether that's design or something i might pick up from a store on the street um and actually the the company i work with in new zealand i work we had we had a really great table and we all curated it and that ended up becoming fodder for the our new identity Hmm. so it's sort of like a really great way to generate it's like physical collage um so that's a really great tool i also think you know Probably with, as with most people, my iPhone camera. <laughs> um, you know, it's a great way to document moments of inspiration or even ins- absurdity, and uh, also because I'm not making the work hands on all the time, I, I get to you know develop my own point of view visually. Um, and then one thing I've been doing lately is using it to take photographs of work, whether it's on a screen or on our on our boards. And it sort of helps me distance myself from the work so I can start empathizing with a user or a consumer to just as without seeing all the kind of intricate details of hmm. what I'm assigned as my role. Um, it's more about just getting some distance so I can be slightly less subjective. So, yeah, I think those three things are pretty key for me.
0: Interesting. Um, so let's talk about uh, Allbirds, my favorite new product of 2016, I will say. Yeah. Um, for those that don't know all birds, maybe you can start off by explaining what all birds are and um but get into talking about how you've worked with them um and the the story of the company and and how Red Antler has worked with them. Sure. Um I will do my best.
1: <laughs> um yeah, I mean this this was kind of my baby um at Red Antler. And I think it's because of the a New Zealand c- connection. Um one of the founders Tim Brown, um, an ex-professional soccer player. I say football, but Mm -hmm. for Americans, (laughs) it's soccer. Um, Yep. (laughs) Um, You know, amazing uh, sports person who, you know, was getting, obviously footwear was really big in what he was doing. He also went through design school in Cincinnati, Hmm. Uh, but he was being sent these shoes and sort of taking a look at the landscape and realized that, Um, There was no real innovation and thoughtfulness in the shoe category. There's definitely technology and a lot of sort of graphical doodads appearing on shoes. Mm -hmm. But no company was really committed to real innovation to benefit the industry or the world, actually. So he was sort of, instead of, you know, entering into the arms race of high-tech materials, and new features he was like let's strip everything back and create something that's really elegantly uncomplicated built around extreme comfort and versatility and it's made from new zealand wool uh, merino wool which is incredibly durable and soft so what he wanted to do was harness the power of what's going on in nature and bring that to the footwear industry so that's kind of the overarching mission um, and then he connected with, um, San Francisco natives, this guy, Joey, uh, Zwellinger. Joey, I hope I said your name right. Um, <laughs> and those two sort of started the company and I met them in New York for a, for a meeting when they were looking for a company to work with. And I was 45 minutes late. Very embarrassing. Um, I be- blame New York traffic for that. <laughs> um, And we met and talked about what they had been doing. Um, So they sort of did a a pre-launch on Kickstarter with this Merino um, wool runner, it was called. And they just got an outrageous response. They spent a lot of time um, trying to fulfill their orders. Um, But through that learning and through that sort of traction, they decided to double down and really create a business out of it. And we were sort of tasked one to build out a overarching brand and then build um sort of something that moved towards the launch of the the wall runner their first shoe so redoutna you know came on uh, tim and i got on like insanely well i think fellow kiwis it was <laughs> um really a great match and and i think one challenge that they were coming to us with was how do we bring a a New Zealand sensibility, without being like a postcard or a tourist postcard from New Zealand, mm-hmm. and that was really important. How do you translate that sort of that culture and the mindset and make it relevant for initially, you know, the American market? And you know, I've been here for a long time, and I've worked through a lot of brands and communications and advertising, so I felt like I was well positioned to do that. And both my partners are—they love New Zealand, they love Kiwis, <laughs> so there's a real um, empathy. What they were doing, we also really loved the mission to transform a category. And I feel like, you know, with our experience of Casper, the mattress company, we really worked with them and helped them from the the ground up to disrupt like a really shitty industry, mm-hmm. and obviously a lot more pain points in in that industry. Um. So yeah, we we came on. We were involved not so much in the industrial design of the shoe, um, which um, this Kiwi guy Jamie. Working out of Auckland, an amazing industrial designer who we've, we're continuing to work through now. We worked with him. We worked on naming. Uh, we worked through kind of the strategic idea, uh, brand identity. Obviously with direct to consumer, the e-commerce experience is really important.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And we really got into how do you, you know, visually communicate comfort and style and the mission and sort of differentiate through art direction and photography. So you know, we've been continually doing um photo shoots for the last year. And that we actually have a team going out today to LA to shoot some more for spring. And then you know, we had illustration, packaging design, I think was a key one, which you know, if people go to the the site, they'll see the this incredible box that our industrial design team, led by uh an English chap um called Scott Chaps. <laughs> He's incredibly talented, but um you know maybe we could talk about the packaging later but i think that was really a key touch point
0: right right it's actually let's talk about the packaging now because i remember receiving my pair and i thought this is just the coolest thing ever without like i hadn't even opened the box and i thought the box is cool (laughs) um so talk a little bit about the, the the explain for people that don't actually haven't seen the box um, how things are are managed and really yeah. ties back to. I think that's an important
1: point that brand. everything that we do that together with all birds has to be has to ladder up to that bigger idea, and it needs to be coming from the same place. Doesn't mean that it has to replicate um, ad nauseum what what it is, but it needs to all have that same sensibility um, in terms of the packaging. Scott designed this amazing box. I think as a starting point, we'd worked. With GE on sort of a, a lighting product, and they were really interested in Amazon's frustration-free packaging, and that really put the team into this headspace of like, how can we reduce material um, while still making the experience really, you know, immersive and surprising? Um, so basically, Scott and his team created a shipper and a shoebox all in one. Typically, you know, a shoebox will be thrown in, you know, one of those brown shipping boxes. And um, we thought, how, how can we combine the two in a really creative way and ultimately be more sustainable, but really present the shoes in like an incredibly unique way. So it's it's basically a, a normal looking shoe box that folds out almost like a gull wing to present the shoes either side of a central panel. And so we have a you know beautiful brand message on the middle, but we're actually isolating the two shoes on either side. And, you know, I don't think anyone's Mm -hmm. done that before. So it was really, um, one, sustainable. So that's really integrated with the Allbirds mission. And it's too surprising so people remember it and they get more engaged through that, I guess, surprise and delight. And that's another expression of uh, the brand character.
0: That's awesome. So, um, you know, you talked about the website. Um, We talked about the packaging. Can we talk just a little bit about, you know, sort of how these all link together? For mm-hmm. touch points in the in the customer's journey, um, and specifically, how do you how do you think about it, and how did you how do you plan that out? Um,
1: the journey of the the process or the customer journey.
0: The customer, I love like how you actually designed that. You know, because even now, if I go online and and for instance, yep. they're out of my size, right? You get a nice little message. It's not a big deal. It's not a heavy lift to uh, to ask them to notify you. When, when things are back in stock and things like that. So, you know, talk to me about how you envision the customer journey um, with yeah with sure. like,
1: words. I think especially at launch, PR plays a huge part, and particularly for direct-to-consumer businesses. And I think you want to seed the mm. ideas um, in more of a genuine way rather than advertising straight away. So, um I think that sort of PR stuff does a long way in that um, influencers and people within, you know, experts within categories are really communicating that information about the brand before you even have to try. Um, that was really important. I think obviously the website mm-hmm. e-commerce experience was huge and we spent a ton of time focusing on that. Um, and really, because you don't have the advantage of that immersive tactile experience of a retail store for physical products. You need to find ways digitally to create that feel and that tactility and how to sort of feature the products in like a multi-dimensional way. So we spend a lot of time, obviously, you know, photography, mm-hmm. but also video communicating like the feel and the texture of the, the fabric, you know, information. We also introduced illustration as another layer into the into the experience. And I think just sort of backing up in terms of how we think about the whole journey or brand experience, we think that... Every touch point needs to be on the money, like pitch perfect. And it's all coming from the same place. It doesn't have to be precious or fussy, but it just needs to all kind of align and add up to that larger story. And at the same time, like building, I think we're always conscious of building a very multidimensional and layered brand identity that at every touch point, we can communicate people in, in more nuanced ways rather than, you know, logo at the top. And here's an image we have. Photography and different kinds of typography, color, illustration has been an amazing one for all birds. And then we can sort of animate this very fantastical world. Um, and I think you were alluding to the emails that you get for custom service. Uh, we have a character called Peter, who's a, a, New Z- <laughs> a very cute uh, <laughs> New Zealand sheep who has, you know, comes on with these little animated GIFs and even if as you say like something's out of stock or something's delayed peter comes and delivers a message it's like really personable and it makes you feel less frustrated <laughs> and um i think it's w- one of the great things that some of these new companies are doing they're really trying to alleviate the pain points of what should be like a really enjoyable um engaging experience mhm
0: mhm definitely um yeah it feels very personal and um it 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 certainly yeah. does. Also, just while we're on the sure.
1: you know the touch points, um, obviously social is is huge, and I feel like everyone's having to gear up and really lean into creating identities and visual assets that are going to feed almost feed the beast, the content beast, and um, social for all birds was they really wanted to develop that you know I think an authentic sense of belonging, community. Um, and have the opportunity to have like a genuine conversation with people about, you know, their mission, the product and people's experience with the product. And I think just looking at, and so I'm a, you know, big Instagram user, I get really frustrated when, when companies have the opportunity to provide you a window into their, into their culture. And instead they continue to try and push product. And sell. And I don't know whether that leads to better engagement. I don't know whether it leads to conversion. Um, I feel like that's Instagram is a really great opportunity just to have a, you know, take some risks and be looser and have fun.
0: Absolutely. It is. It is interesting because I do follow obviously on Allbirds on Instagram and the pictures are always so beautiful. And you mentioned something earlier, like nuances, like texture and in telling the story. And it's so clear to me as you describe that, how much attention you must pay to that particular outlet.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I'll do a plug for uh, another amazing Kiwi. <laughs> um, Henry Hargraves, who's a photographer, he actually started when he came to New York as a runway model for you know Prada and Calvin Klein. Um, then he went on the other side of the camera, and is basically he's he's more of like a food activist now. He's done some incredible projects, um, but also shoots kind of lifestyle and and objects. And we worked with him on the initial photo shoot, but his strength is really in these sort of studio shots of bringing to life flavor, texture, um looking at objects in really different ways. So he's been doing these laydowns with the shoes with, you know a whole range of different objects that are either tangential or they relate to <coughs> relate to the color or all birds. Um, they really tell like really beautiful, rich stories. And yeah, we obviously we do spend a lot of time and care on those, but at the same time, I think Allbirds is bringing in a lot of UGC from you know people who are who are wearing the shoes and experiencing them.
0: Mm. So let's talk a little bit about um, about your talk at the conference. You're speaking at the Next to O'Reilly Design Conference about some of the lessons you've learned along the way. And in your talk description, um, you you note that um, you'll discuss how crucial it was to establish a core idea. And you mentioned this earlier, um, based on a true insight that would drive all the decisions. Can you talk a little bit about what you mean by the core idea and, and maybe point to Allbirds and their their core idea?
1: Um, yeah, I think I alluded that we're, we're sort of a strategically led company. Um, Emily Hayward, one of the most brilliant people I've ever met, <laughs> I had the pleasure to work with. Um, she leads... <laughs> strategies. She she worked in kind of bigger companies doing um, you know on the ground research and groups across the country and the globe, um, really gaining insights from from people and how they feel, what they think. And that's been a real sort of core tenant a pillar of our, our company. Um, so we use that as a way to help companies focus. Usually the people we speak to, they know too much. And um, They find it difficult to get clarity about that that single thing that they stand for and how to really express that single thing in lots of different ways. So as a business, very tough to have focus. And what we do is bring sort of a singular idea that everything we do ladders up to um, and acts as kind of that spine or through line to both the business and also the work that we're doing. So it all feels like it's coming from the same place. we, In the end, we're trying to create these belief systems that feel unique and believable and cohesive and different. And you can only do that through, um, you know, having something that's
2: singular, I think. Um,
0: so what would that be for Alberts?
2: Yeah, so... I think the
1: insight there was there was a, a lack of thoughtfulness and sustainability. Like there was no one really mission based. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously Tom's have a mission, mm-hmm. but they weren't influencing trying to influence an entire industry to change, um, you know, material processes and manufacturing processes to, processes to make to save the world. <laughs> um So that was kind of a big thing. Um But I don't think a solely mission based brand is going to resonate and really, you know, engage people at the level that we really wanted. Um, so we wanted to ladder up to something that, and this is a very Kiwi thing. It's just like, I think the idea was like, get up and go. So it's no fuss, no bullshit and just freedom, like flick your shoes on and get out the door and get going. Mm -hmm. And that was sort of to me, it's all about like movement and travel and. Um, sort of an unfettered life and a sense of ease. Um, the Kiwis have a saying: it's like she'll be right. Just get on with it. <laughs> um, and then, you know, we had sort of other layers to the the strategy. So we have this kind of big singular idea that we we constantly reference throughout the creative process. We have it up on our wall. We're measuring the work against it. Um, but we also build in other layers to the um, kind of conceptual framework. In Allbirds' case. We love this idea of curiosity, and as a company, they're very curious about how to harness different materials from nature, how to make the industry better. Um, From a sort of design and um, brand identity perspective, we have photography and messaging and illustration that's very kind of weird and curious, and people are moving off frame or they're in a very unusual pose. Mm -hmm. And our we have hands coming in from places and feet walking upstairs, And, you know, it's just all, all of these kind of core ideas really are, are just great, great guiding lights for us as we continue to make things. And with probably most companies, but direct-to-consumer, you, you're having to produce a lot of material day-to-day, um, whether it's, you know, social, um, consumer, uh, customer service, mm-hmm. um, digital experience, physical experience. How are you going to tie all that together? So a core idea really does that.
0: Excellent. Um, So we talked a little bit earlier about agencies, and I won't call you an agency. Um, Thank you, (laughs) Well, you're the new agency. You're the agency that cares (laughs) about the right things. Um, But I'd love for you to talk a little bit about your take on uh, what the future of agencies looks like. I mean, we've seen a lot of agencies purchased. Um, by larger organizations. And and just talk about the, I, I guess, who are your competitors and, and how, or, you know, are they consultancies? Are they agencies? Uh, what do you think about where the future of agencies is headed?
1: Yeah, I think in terms of competition, it's a very wide spectrum. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone from bigger global branding companies like Landor, interbrand wolf Olins. i have a lot of respect for wolf islands they inspired me to get into brands right down especially with the the fact that we're working with startups they might be considering someone like us a slightly smaller company or one of their friends who's a designer
2: mm. um
1: and i think with you know with the companies that we're talking to now i think um not so much for the the single designer um so it is a really wide spectrum. Sometimes I think in the past we've com- competed with advertising agencies, but I think we're just trying to focus on doing things that really make sense for the businesses that we're working with. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we have developed an expertise in new businesses and new ventures and whether that's one person with an idea, no funding through to someone like GE, where they're launching a new venture and a new company within within their organization. hmm um, we still sort of apply that same um, rigor and process to everything um, in terms of the future I think um, well I think design and design thinking is obviously being talked about a lot in magazines and online mm-hmm. so there's a there's a real awareness of the value of design and design thinking um, I would say in business but also just in culture in general um, and I think, both design and businesses are going to become more and more entwined. And that's why you see, you know, some larger companies buying up smaller ones or even in the case of VCs in our space, they are bringing on design thinkers onto the company. Like John who was design partner at Kleiner Perkins, I think last year. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, definitely moves are being made. Alliances are being formed between business and, and design, knowing that it's kind of a, it's a key driver and everybody should be thinking in that way. Which mm-hmm. Designers have believed like that for a long time. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. In terms of the makeup of branding companies, I, I don't think I would speak for design companies. I think there's you know, just such a huge spectrum there. Um, but brand, again, brand is like something that is part of common vernacular. And there's a lot more focus and attention on building a brand. People know they have to do it. And I think for a time with examples like, Facebook and Twitter, where you, if you had great product and a lot of users, you're fine. You didn't really have to worry about a brand identity necessarily. Um, I think now where technology is table stakes, brand is going to be the differentiator.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: it's a way to, again, like genuinely engage with people. Brand means conversation and a feeling and an emotion. Um, so we need to tool our businesses around. How to do that in a, in a holistic way. So I think, you know, we're sort of trying to build a um, multidisciplinary offering without being amateurs at anything. I think that's dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, growing where it makes sense, we're doing a lot more content creation. And I see that happening in other, other companies, other branding companies as well. I really, the, the evidence and the, the meat of a brand now is in the activation of it. And you can have the best strategy and the most rational, beautiful brand identity. But if you can't actually execute on it and flow it out and grow it, um, then it's not going to be as successful, I don't think.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Great. What skills and attributes do you look for when you're hiring designers? And are you hiring designers?
1: Always. (laughs) Always want to speak to designers. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I think I'm always looking for people who, a great thinkers and also great doers, mm-hmm. and there are they're incredible design companies out there where the thinking is just incredible and sometimes academic, and the work is beautiful but somewhat abstract. And for the kind of work that we're doing, we need we need to be making stuff and doing it strategically. So I'm really for critical thinkers and people who are curious. We need to be very empathetic with our clients and also their users. So. And emotional intelligence. Um, people are really good listeners, but also can communicate clearly. Um, and I also want people who have a point of view. I really don't want regurgitation of design blogs. I, I want <laughs> people to get off their asses and their computers and get out there in the world or look at other, other inspiration to feed into what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And with that, I think having that point of view means you have to take risks. So you have to be able to make those Creative leaps into unexpected territory, and for me that's where the magic comes and we can have you know a very um, hardworking brand identity. but if there's not that moment in there that um, no one's ever thought of, even yourself, then that's what I think really makes the, the magic of a, a brand identity.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then uh, I would say I wouldn't say ego less because I think you need to have an ego, <laughs> but I think someone who can work well on a team working towards a common goal and, you know, we have sort of a no asshole policy here at Red <laughs> Um It's, we've just got an incredible team because of it. And there are some really great hotshot designers that I've met and worked with, but ultimately they just, they don't stick around because we're just not built like that. We're not, we don't have a culture that sort of enables that behavior.
0: That is good. I like that policy. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh.
1: <laughs> Everyone should have that policy. <laughs> yes,
0: I believe so. Um, so just a few more questions, um, beyond your own, your own work there, which sounds awesome. Um, what people or projects are grabbing your attention these days?
1: Yeah. Um, I think when I was coming up, I was always looking at other designers, Tibor Kelman, Stefan, Sagmeister, those guys who could really, again, harness the power of ideas and find really different ways to communicate that. hmm As an artist, I was looking at Barbara Kruger and Jenny Holzer, more sort of politicized, but also like with design savvy. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was really interesting to me. I love um, an Italian artist called Maurizio Catalan, and he's a real provocateur. He does, um, you know, one of his work is like the Pope, uh, a a sort of a, a model of the Pope squashed under a rock which was shown at the Venice um, Biennale mm-hmm. and a you know, really politically charged work but really fucking funny <laughs> and he he put out a couple of magazines uh, one permanent food, and I think he's collaborated on another one called toilet paper magazine and mm-hmm. it's just you know it's sort of leaning into where fashion is going I think art and fashion have really you know they're real sisters
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, particularly in America I would say um, they sort of fuel each other
2: mm-hmm.
1: There's a lot of crossover. Um, a couple of other things, uh, the Burlek brothers Ronan and Erwin, I think they, what they do is just phenomenal and that mm-hmm. they, again, like all those, they're harnessing forms and materials from nature, but everything seems high tech and slightly otherworldly,
2: mm-hmm. but
1: it's all really user focused. Um, yeah, I just, uh, the work that they do for feature is pretty incredible. One of my favorite brands, probably many, and the the stuff is really expensive, but Aesop, I think, do an incredible job, again, of like, there's a great example of like a singular vision played out, um, particularly in their retail environment, in so many different ways, but you still get that feeling, they get that sense that it's coming from the same place. Mm -hmm. And they're working with different architects all over the world to create these environments that are um, sensorial and tactile and... I just want to lie down and live there. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But again, you know, it's really expensive. So I, I, I like also like brands that are really accessible and I want to do work that communicates to lots of people and not just a few. Mm -hmm. Um, Another thing, I guess, as I'm getting older, I'm looking outside of the design community for those inspirational figures, uh, people in public service or teachers who are incredibly selfless. And I would, say incredibly underrewarded. they are so important to the future of the world. And I don't think they get enough resources or credit. Mm-hmm. But yeah, any, anyone who's sort of really out there in the world involved in helping others in need and a pretty tumultuous time in the world. Mm-hmm. So they, they give me a lot of inspiration.
0: Excellent. One last question outside of your work there. What do you do to, uh, to refuel?
1: Sorry, is there an outside of the work?
0: <laughs> I don't know. Is there?
1: <laughs> no, there is definitely for me now. Um, you know, as the company has grown, I've um, now got very four talented and responsible design directors who have taken a, quite a load off me. And I'm a family man. So I have two kids, Curtis and Tio, 12 and 7. Oh, wow. And uh, an incredible partner, wife, Jules. So that's sort of my meditation and you know i couldn't be doing what i'm doing without you know their love and support which is really cool and i think even even you know kids are great because you get home and they don't really give a shit what you've done during that day you might think you're really important but all they want to do is they want your attention and they want you to like build lego so (laughs) me and my sons build a ton their bedroom is a nightmare it gives me panic attacks (laughs) <laughs> um, but at the same time, like they're doing something that's really constructive. And both of them wanna be Lego designers in Denmark.
2: Oh nice.
1: Um, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, what they do is keep it real for me. So that's that's really cool. Um I've been really involved in music. Um since I was a teenager. I used to play in bands. I used to spend records in New York when I you know, for the first few years when I came here. So I think music keeps me up-to-date keeps me young and hungry (laughs) and it keeps me kind of connected with what's going on out there. And I think it's easy to get in your bubble. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think music's just so powerful. You don't, you don't hear anyone say, Oh, I don't like music. It's just one of those sort of universal things that is so elemental to us as human beings. Mm -hmm. Um, So definitely plugging into that whenever I can. Um, I actually started working out recently after Way too long of working too hard and staring at computers. Uh, that's really changed my, my life and how I think, how I'm able to think. Like I'm, I'm way more clear headed. I have more stamina. Um, mm. So that's been really cool.
2: Excellent. Cool.
1: I would say one more thing. Oh, sure. <laughs> and this is linking back to kind of New Zealand and all birds that I love lying down on a New Zealand sheepskin. And that's what I think, that's my image at the end of the day, is lying down on my sofa on this New Zealand sheepskin. And there's a real comfort to that um, and a nostalgia.
0: Excellent. I've never heard that answer before. So. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah just... That's great. Well, Simon, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Cool. It's a real pleasure. Thank you for the opportunity.
0: Thank you for listening. You can reach Simon on Twitter at KKingFool. You can subscribe to the O'Reilly Design Podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or TuneIn. And while you're there, leave us a review.